right, yes, yes, yo, and you don't stop. Big John came to rock the short shot, yo. We are here. It's Cork Stats, Mayo, Media Net, MLB, Futures Edition, man. We got to get just less of me. And that I brought in two of, man, just my homies. Some of the best part of getting into this industry is not just reaching out to the sharpest, the smartest dudes out there cracking bets, bookies over the head, making money, but actually becoming friends with really cool people. And, and connecting, and I, I really mean that guy. So I got you probably know him because they're more popular to me. But I got player props of my man Jay up in here. It's at player underscore props p l a y e r underscore p r o p s and Stu, my boy, monotone football, but it's football with one L. You catch them both on Twitter. You really can't miss them. Josh, you first. How are you doing, my man? Yo, seriously, it's so good to have you for us. Yeah, no, it's been good, man. I'm excited. Obviously, March Madness is here, so that's taking a lot of stuff, taking a lot of people's attention there. Mine included, but, dude, I'm ready for baseball season. The sun's starting to come out here in Wisconsin. We, we get snow every other day, but, hey, there's a sunny day today. Just makes me miss baseball, and uh, I'm ready for the season, ready for uh, to catch in some futures bets. I'm really excited. What about you, Mono? How's it hanging, my man? Same thing, man. Best time of the year, right? We got March Madness. We got NBA in full stride. But, hey, while well, all these bookmakers are taking their time running like crazy trying to set those lines, we're over here in a little bit of a different lane trying to crack down on these MLB futures. I think, you know, they're, they don't have, they're not ready for the MLB season. I think we are ready for the MLB season. I'm just so pumped, man. Couldn't be happier to be here. I am containing the only Cheshire Cat smile, of course, because it took all of one minute and 40 seconds for me and Stu to get totally simpatico because that's what this thing of ours is all about, finding the edge. I don't want to bet on Sunday Night Baseball where everybody's <laughs> looking at the damn thing. I want to bet on the Pirates versus the Tigers on Tuesday afternoon, cash my plus 140, and go about my business. That's what all about really getting paid so to that, man, let's segue right up into it. But just first, just a little bit of housekeeping because we want to give people a little bit first. I, You know, everyone comes out and asks for a like first. Well, what if they don't like us? So hopefully we showed them just a bit of what I'm about to get in the next half hour. Rate, review, and subscribe to the audio-only pod. And then you press the YouTube button because, gosh, that cartoon thumb just matters way more than it should. Yeah, All right, you guys mentioned where it's at, trying to find the edge. Now, we're going to do just a couple of our favorite prop bets first. I generally like to look for longer odds, something we mentioned off air, because again, I just don't want to lock up a minus 110 bet for six months. That doesn't mean that you can't do it. I just think if anything, it should be part of a larger portfolio. And that's where I wanted to get at. Guys, I'm very particular. I've done this MLB future stuff out in public for a while. So just short. I don't like when work is undefined and people kind of just throw units out there. They have 49 futures bets. So of course, at the end of the year, oh, I hit the MVP and I hit this. Listen, this is about profit. You have to talk to me before the bet happens, right? Before the games are played. So I know because you could theoretically have put out 30, 40 different bets on Twitter over the course of three months. And then, oh, you, you know, collect all the good ones at the end. Mm -hmm. I like to build tickets together. I come up with a set amount of risk. Usually for me, it's, it's 10 units or 10% of my role. Because again, it's six months and I roll it against everything. It's all the futures I could find. And then I kind of work backwards where... I try and make it where, let's say for the Cy Young ticket, as long as one of the pitchers hits, the whole thing is a nice return. So, mm-hmm. Jay, you first, man, is there a certain way you build futures tickets or how do you go about it for newbies out there? Because they're looking at us, the pros, you know? Yeah, no, and I, I usually like to do it if I, if I really like the guy, right? And Like today, I'm talking about two spots that I really do like. I'll end up like kind of throwing like maybe like a quarter unit on this future and then I'll throw like three quarters of a unit on like my favorite part of his. Right. So if I'm going with a guy to win, to lead the league and wins, 
I'll throw it on his actual wins ticket as well at like whatever the number is. Right. So um, I'll be talking about this in a second, so I won't go into it too deep, but uh, yeah, I'll take his actual only player prop, the minus minus one ten line. I'll take the over there and then I'll obviously throw in a quarter unit on him to win that whole thing. So if he does win, we're making some pretty good money there. So that's kind of how I do it, but that's only if I really, really like the spot like I do here um, on these two that I'll be talking about here. Yeah. Correlating picks makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Man, again, that that what you just dropped is really part and kind of woven into a more advanced strategy. And I'm not ashamed of that. You know, I think there's too much of that on Twitter. People chasing kind of unrealistic parlays and no run stuff. That's just crazy. It's just <laughs> no run first inning, dude. Get listen, those nerfies again, out of here. <laughs> everything can be part of a responsible plan, including wild parlays. But not when people are dropping full units on wild parlays, because if they're tied to percentage of your stack, then you're certainly going to go broke. And one of the things, one of the many reasons that I've gravitated to you and so many people like you guys is you care about us. You care about the, the listener. You guys actually care about making money. You, I know you do it in real life. But even if you didn't, you care about it. I think the work is really where it sticks out. So, Stu, I've heard you cover this before, but quickly, could you just talk about your approach to these futures tickets? Yeah, I think an analogy a lot of people on this channel may like is kind of thinking about it like you're building out a golf cart, right? If you're betting golf outrights all season long, you're not going to be betting John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, all those guys that are four to one. Because if you bet all those guys to win a tournament, you're not going to be getting a positive return. You kind of have to brace yourself and kind of map it out a little bit in your head. You can have a couple favorites, but if you're betting, like you said, four or five guys to win the Cy Young at like 14 to one each, you're not going to get any value you right there if you're going to the top of the board if you love somebody that is plus 800 to win one of these awards then i would assume that the rest of your offerings would have to be 80 to 1 50 to 1 some long shots and most of your stake in your futures kind of unit management is going to be on that favorite right there so i personally like to set aside you know i don't ever like to go over like five to ten percent of my bankroll for mlb futures i don't want to go absolutely crazy but i try to kind of separate it half and half i want to win these minus 110 bets you know i want to make about five of those And then I want to make about five to 10 more of these longer shot bets, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. So I'm kind of treating them as different bankrolls, right? Where I want to win. I want to be positive on my five minus one, 10 bets. And then I'm also looking to be positive on my, you know, 10, you know, maybe 50 to one or up bets. Are you correlated on those plays, Mono? Or are you looking to hedge it out? Like you feel very strongly about the Cy Young, but if he doesn't get it, maybe it's the long haul. So are those plays tied together? Yeah, to a certain extent, I think kind of like Justin said, where if you really like a guy's, you know, regular total on the season, and then you want to go a step further and add that quarter unit, I do like that correlation on the card. I'm never trying to hedge against myself. Obviously, we only know one guy can win the AL Cy Young. But if I have somebody that is sitting at, you know, 100 to one, and my number is 60 to one, then I'm not going to let somebody else at eight to one that I maybe have already bet kind of stop me from placing that bet. So they're not directly correlated, but I'm never trying to directly hedge against myself in those markets either man we are dropping dimes already we're actually a little bit ahead of schedule so there's a first for me maybe that's what happens when i actually be quiet sometimes i let the smart people talk one more question on theory before we go to the actual plays themselves that i'm very curious of because again you know you guys are super sharp you're talking about when and where to start and stake a position with the longer odds right so this is for the longer plays because number one we should have mentioned this already you have to shop these plays around always do you add into plays like doll in stock trading we could say dollar cost averaging in we could just add like do you average into plays ever um 
You see a number that you like. Let's say you think it's going to go against you. Listen, CLV is cool and all, but for futures, I don't think you should get too caught up in it other than how you manage the money. So I know that I do this sometimes. Sometimes you get burned, it goes against you, but sometimes it doesn't. So let's say you get a 10 to 1 that you think maybe should be the other way, but you don't want to miss it. Do you ever take just a piece of the position and then add back in, guys? Or is that, I don't want to say a little too advanced. Is it just too much headache? I think that's the best way to put it. Because some people, it's not that they can't handle it. They just don't want to be bothered. So, so why don't you go first in this one? We start with you. That's a great question. Yeah, for me, I tend to not do that. I tend to, I want to, I do, I'm at my computer 24-7 trying to beat these markets. I obviously am not 100% hit rate on CLV, but I do think as people that are so into these markets, we can kind of tell sometimes the line, the direction that these lines are going. So if I personally do think I'm going to get a 12 to 1 at a certain amount of time, then I'm comfortable missing that 10 to 1 if I do think that's part of my end goal. Now for mid-season and things have changed, we have new data, and suddenly I have a whole bunch of numbers in front of me, that's when I'm willing to play around a little bit more with my portfolio and kind of look at it more like a numbers game when we're actually in season. Prop, give me a little touch on both, please. Yeah, no, I literally Stu kind of said exactly what I was going to say. I usually like to, like if I kind of like a guy, I'll throw it on that number, but I usually wait till about two months into the season if it's a guy I'm kind of on the edge of, right? You can kind of get that read because early on in the season, there's a lot of guys who start slow, right? There's a lot of like big time hitters that usually like take a month to get into that smash swing right i mean it's not they're not all gonna be like that trevor story right that first week of the season they just come in and hit 10 bombs right it's not, not gonna change the number that much um but i can get about a month four or five weeks in right you got the terrible weather in a lot of these places then i can maybe bet those guys that are in the colder weather about a month like five six weeks into the season when it's starting to warm up then i know that ball is going to start flying out there maybe um so those are kind of the ways i look at it just because i mean just being around baseball enough you know obviously if it's cold it's not gonna fly as far so it's like Maybe I wait if I'm betting on a guy in like a like a out, out east or up by me. Like if you're betting on some tigers or something, it's crappy out here in April. It's crappy out here early May. So I usually wait till about yeah once it gets maybe into June where the numbers aren't really that good, but you know they're gonna pick up a little bit. So that's where I, I kind of do and and kind of how I think about it later on. Well, now you got your very own Cheshire Cat smile. I'm just trying to keep this thing inside my face. That is how you play the favorites, or at least in my opinion, the same way odds move for everybody, right? They're never purely static. They're dynamic. Odds on the favorites only usually go in one direction. This goes from betting the Yankees to win the World Series. You don't ever do that. You would never bet the Yankees or the Dodgers to win the World Series because if they come out and like lose the first five games, something like that, the odds are the best they're going to be. The same goes for in-season during games. This just absolutely kills me when people pay – Minus 310, minus 340 for a baseball game breaks my heart. I don't see any value there. If you really like that one, I just say, just wait and see if they go down a run. You'll get that very same game at minus 145 in the first inning where nothing has changed whatsoever. So, again, guys, we're just like, that was just so sick. We could probably wrap it up here and say that we love value for people. So, you know what? Let me do my producer break. Let's take a quick breath for the big man, and then we'll get back and get a couple of plays. All right, welcome back, man. Let's get it, man. Second pillar of profit here at Quark Stats on Mayo Media Night. If you haven't yet, 
if we haven't earned the like button, I, there's got to be a point where I have to tell you to hit the road, right? And <laughs> I think everyone's maybe a little bit too nice. We're out here working, and this was free for you and me. Press the like button. It really, really matters. You get up in the comment and put my name in it. You can't believe – people just don't understand how much it matters. Hitting the cartoon finger just matters way more than it should, but I don't just say it like – I absolutely mean it. All right, now let's put some actual green in people's pockets. I think we did a pretty good job of handing out, you know, fish poles – today and that's really what it's all about right it sounds a little corny you hand them a, a fish to eat for a day you teach them to fish to eat for a lifetime mm-hmm. i've always said if you teach enough people to fish you create a culture of fishermen and fisherwomen and then before you know it like you're just straight chilling you don't even have to fish like well, forget fish <laughs> forget fishing you know what i mean you all you actually end up fishing only when you want to fish because people there's so many people who could do it and that's what happens in a community kind of like the ones that you, you you guys have built so if anyone is unfamiliar to these guys somehow you want to follow them for the sports that I'm not doing. God, you guys tempt me into betting on basketball constantly. <laughs> it really, it's very, very tempting. I like to hang my hat on my discipline so I don't actually do it. But, I, man, do I want to. And for people that do bet it, these guys are where you want to be. I usually kick myself. When I see that you hit the bet, I didn't think the bet. But, like, you know, I also trade. And I do, you know what, people get one more lesson. You got to be careful when you gamble all the time. If your hobbies are gambling and then your work is gambling, <laughs> you got to get away from it sometimes. You really, really do. I'm kind of a corny Disney dad, but if that's anything, you know, hunt, fish, write, paint, something that isn't gambling. I tell you, it makes you better at it. It really does. makes you better at it. You, you stare. We used to say on trading, when you stare too much at like the one minute candles, you end up missing the weekly candles. You know, you could actually miss the broader move, focusing on like up and down, back and forth. Oh, they won today. We lost today. We got to go up. We got to short. We got to go. We're going long. Go short. When it was like, yo, I believed in this team. We're long. And it's going to have some bumps and bruises on the way. Anyway, there's a little bit of, you know, theory. It's a long season. It's a long season. Thank you. Absolutely. Why don't you take us to that prop? Give us your your top play. Where are people putting that first chip? All right. All right. I'm going to start out here. I'm going to go to the AL MVP race and I'm going to go to a guy I don't, I haven't heard many people talking about. Um, and I'm going to go to the plus 2,500 Kyle Tucker. I'm going to take him to win the AL MVP this year. I really like his spot. Again, I just told you guys this, the way I do mine. I'm also taking his um, over 154 and a half hits. That's going to be my 0.75 um, unit spot. And then the full or the quarter unit is going to be that MVP winner spot i think he's going to be one of the biggest guys adjusted here by the shift um i looked at his numbers there he only had seven ab's last year without the shift right you had him and Jordan back to back only seven ab's he had five hits in those seven ab's that's how good he was against the shift he only had seven tries and he still got five hits so i think that's really important you obviously have him as protection to Jordan, um who people just love to throw around but i also really think that jose abreu is going to really help out here because everybody in the whole world knows Jose Abreu race lefties, and you can't just bring them in just like that to face Tucker and to face Jordan because you're going to have to have them face Jose Abreu, and that dude's going to crush them, right? The White Sox were literally known for being like the best team against lefties, and Jose Abreu was right in the middle of it, him and Tim Anderson. So I think that's going to be a really big thing. Um, and also, even if they do bring in a lefty, uh, Kyle Tucker's WRC Plus was 107 against um, lefties last year, 142 versus righties. He also batted 303 with runners in scoring position. And if we also look at it here, we're going to have tons of guys on base. They're minus 200, minus 175 to win their division in a much improved division. So I think people are going to look at that as well. But 
Did anybody know he stole 25 bases and hit 30 homers last year? Nobody talks about it, right? It's crazy to me that nobody is talking about it. He lost a ton of hits to the shift. I'm going to be all over Kyle Tucker here. I think that you're getting 25 to 1 odds on a guy who's a part of a team that's one of the top three favorites to win the World Series. You're full around a lot of other guys that will help out. He's going to have to take a step forward with El Tuve out for the start of this season. You're in a dome, right? Everything that kind of goes here is yeah. where I'm going. I'm going right to Kyle Tucker. I already locked it in there. Um, he's good against both sides of the plate. And he, I mean, how much more safe can you be behind Jordan Alvarez? You're behind Jordan Alvarez and in front of Jose Abreu. Like, what, what more can you ask for, right? And I think that's going to yeah. lead to more runs, more hits, and uh, more RBI chances for him, too. Yeah, Kyle Tucker is awesome. It just can't happen recently. He's find, found himself in the top, like, five or six overall picks in mm-hmm. high stakes leagues. And I think yep. it was about time because he really does everything. I want to put some numbers on it. This is great working with a partner. It actually gives me a chance to get this out. So this was Kyle Tucker pulled ball, pulled ground balls last year. I mean, is it people talk about like the shift and uh, about the impact. I don't know how it can't have a major impact. There's a reason they put the rule in. So last year, Kyle Tucker pulled 85 ground balls into the shift. Yeah, he had seven singles, and that's it, .082. Uh, the league average on that should probably be, I don't know, 240. Maybe mm-hmm. the way he hits the ball, maybe it's 245, then 250. That's like 20-something hits right there. Also, little note for Kyle Tucker, and I wonder, um, you could hit this on your next coach, Jays. If the books catch up, these kind of off props, just about hit props. A lot of people are not talking about that. Michael Brantley cemented in that two hole for God knows whatever reason is now going to start the season on the IL that was announced Thank today. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Kyle Tucker goes, Kyle Tucker goes right into the two hole that, Ooh. that must affect that absolutely must affect the hit total. And if that number hasn't moved, there's your first auto smash. Everybody. Thanks for playing the thing without we'll just put one more bow is every time you move up a lot of spot. I remember I, somebody did a very good study on it. I did like a expansion on it. It's like 35, 45, 55 plate appearances every time you move up that slot. So I know people like like to wish cast Kyle Tucker into the two-hole. With Michael Brantley healthy, he's the six-hitter. I'm sorry. That's just what they've shown us over and over and over and over again. Without Michael Brantley, he's a two-hitter. You have to adjust that. So that is an absolute smash. Mono, okay, our pockets are fat. Let's blow them up, kid. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll be going to some even higher odds right here. We're going to be going with Stephen Kwan, 35-1 to 1 to record the most regular season hits. Leading off for the Guardians with that sub-10% K rate. If you go over to Baseball Savant, he is posting an elite 100th percentile K percentage, 100th percentile whiff percentage, 96th percentile chase rates. He is constantly putting himself in great positions to win right here. It's one of those situations where you don't want a guy walking too much, but when he has a lineup following him of Rosario, Ramirez, Bell, pitchers aren't going to be wanting to pitch around Quan. You've got to attack him with these kind of guys going after him. A very interesting stat I saw from Codify, too, was among left-handed batters last season, in terms of the most pitches that were called strikes but were actually out of the zone, he was lapping everybody else. He ended up with 60. The next closest guy on that list was Anthony Rizzo with just 41 right there. Otani was right under him with 40 as well. So this is a guy that is constantly, like I said, putting himself in positions to succeed. He's getting on base. He's not doing it with elite power. He's not doing it with elite 
exit velocity. He's a slasher. He's kind of getting on the old fashioned way right here. And I think these shift rules that you guys were just mentioning should vastly benefit a guy like him. I understand it's a second year he's coming in, you know, with all that hype, but I, I kind of see a path upward rather than a path to regression right here. I love the lineup that they got behind him. I like the addition of Bell right there. I think Quan's going to continue to be exceptional. And to be honest, 35 to one just sent like, seemed like a disrespectful price. I had him kind of in that 22, 24. I don't think he should be in the same range as a guy like Alex Verdugo, a guy like Jose Abreu. I think he should be in that next tier up. So at 35 to one, I really like Stephen Quan this year. Yeah, I'm actually extremely high on Quan in general. Let's take a second and shamelessly self-promote my work that I've done because we're doing some granular baseball stuff. A lot of the times the feedback I get, guys, are like, well, more of that, more of that. And I actually did that. I don't know. And it started out as like a just five-by-five five rankings. But it's not even that anymore. I started writing up all these players. I actually wrote up the top 125 players. It's like over 40,000 words. Absolutely bananas. You could search by player, search by position. I did H2H ranks and underdog. Find it on Twitter. It'll take you to Sharpener for $9.99, which is well worth it. But this is one of the reasons I really like it so much. I do all this rambling and arguing and researching for months. And there's some, you know, some validity to it. I spark conversations. But a lot of the times, if you don't record it, it gets lost. And now I'm kind of recording this stuff. And I go and look at what I had for Stephen Kwan. Yeah, I'm ridiculously high in this guy. Because he played through it, I think people are burning him for stats that were before a trajectory change. So we had, like, Stephen Kwan, he had this hamstring injury early in the year while Miles Straw was leading off. Then you have him coming off the hamstring, and as he got healthier, he was running more. He actually hit a couple home runs. Then he earned the leadoff role. Then he kept the leadoff role. He's going to be the Guardians' leadoff hitter, cemented. He has one of the elite, elite plate approaches like in the league. As a, a kid, he's a kid. He had a negative K-minus walk percentage, 3.1% swinging strike rate, better than 95% in-zone contact unbelievable statistics, but it also came with some of that fantasy juice. And I know this is betting, but this stuff matters. The second half, 317, 50 runs, 29 ribbies, five homers, and 14 bags. This guy could be an 11. I, mean, I don't think he's a 30 home run guy, but it could be 11 home run and like 35 steals, hit 325 and score 135 runs. This guy also should be thought about because you mentioned Quan. He was on the bubble of, I think he should be considered for lead league and runs. I think there's a there's a pretty good there's a pretty good argument for him there. I probably made some of it. The Guardians love to stretch. They're all very fast. I think they've also adopted the antithesis of the power, right? Like we had the 2019 power breakout juice ball and I think some teams knew we're gonna have to do it the other way. And you know what? They were kind of ahead of the curve. I don't know if they knew about the mush ball, but they were ahead of the curve because contact and speed right now not striking out, getting on base is pretty great, right? If, you were, if you're were if you relying on, like, towering home runs, you're pretty much beat. You're better off. I, this also covering the rankings is pull power has been the greater than sign. And if you guys haven't seen it yet, you really want to start looking at this stuff because when we get into DFS season and prop betting season, that's what it's going to be all, all about is identifying pull power on guys that we don't think of as, like, being home run hitters. Like, dude, like – Andres Jimenez, Tyro Estrada. Mm. There are certain guys that have – you don't see it because it's not in the general profile. 
but they pull a ton of balls in the air and stuff. So, again, that's the kind of extra that you get when you hang with us all the rest of the, you know, hours of the week. All right, let's try and get back around because, again, there goes the mouth. So, all right, let's try and squeeze in one more for everybody. Just let him have it. I mean, come on. Can we give him a loser? You got any losers in the bag of tricks? Tell you what, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry I couldn't get to the 35 to 1 that Stu got to. But I'm going to go 30 to 1. I'm going 30 to 1 over on DraftKings. That's going to be Luis Castillo to lead um, the AL in wins this year. And that's 30 to 1, like I said. I love Luis Castillo. I loved him since he was with the Reds. He just absolutely destroyed my Brewers Every time he came out, just pushing that 98-mile-an-hour fastball. And everybody, I know the first initial thought is, oh, ground ball guy, pretty heavy ground ball guy. And he's down under 50% for the first time in five years. Last year was his first time being under 50% ground ball rate. And that's because he finally, finally switched over to using that slider more. And that slider has a 36% whiff rate. He's boosting that strikeout rate up. Obviously, I love this lineup that Seattle has created there. They gave Winker over here to the Brewers and got Wong there as their leadoff. Right, they got my boy Jared Kelnick. That's my guy. Um, obviously, you have him. You're rolling with a pretty big pickup in Teoscar Hernandez here. I love that pickup. They're sitting at an 87 and a half win total um, for their team there. Obviously, I'm saying in the ALS here, which is kind of funny, but I didn't even realize I was both in the ALS for both my futures here. But um, he has three different pitches with over a 26% whiff rate. Um, and I really like that he only had one game last year that he didn't qualify for the win when he went over to Seattle. You started seeing him push 95, 96. In the playoffs, you saw him pushing 105, 110 pitches here, right? So he's got one of the longest leashes in baseball because when you bring in a guy out the pen, right, you want a guy who's going to throw strikes and get you ground balls. Well, if, if Luis Castillo wants to, he can throw you a 97-and-a-half-mile-an-hour two-seam fastball on your hands and get you a ground ball whenever you need one, or he can get you the strikeout, right? So um, he's going to be the best option here. I really like Luis Castillo. Um, I like the offense of the Mariners here, and I like that win total. I just like that there's going to be so many opportunities for him. I think they shirt up the pen as well um, with Munoz, who was absolutely lights out last year. So we should be able to see those holds if he's winning in those games. And like I said, you have good left-handed hitters. you got good right-handed hitters throughout this lineup. And I think that that Teoscar Hernandez pickup was one of the biggest ones of the offseason. I'm very, very excited to see what he does there. So sign me up. He has an 11-and-a-half prop for wins. I'll be taking that over, and I'll also be taking him to win or to be the leader um, at 30-to-1 as well. Yeah, listen, he goes deep. He's got the, you know, contextual environment around him, and we saw the changes. I wanted to bring up my money start leaderboard. Okay, so 25 games started last year. He had 17 quality starts, four of them were money starts. So, yeah, that, that checks some boxes. I also – go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and, and you said he had 17 quality starts. Dude had eight wins, right? That's what yeah, happens yeah. when you play for the damn Reds, right? And you yeah. blow every single game in the bullpen. So, that that's something I also want to bring up because I had that written down was the 17 um, quality starts. The dude's just not getting wins because he played for the Reds for three quarters of the season, dude. Yeah, he was a little slow out of the box. There was like a shoulder impingement thing that again pushed me off him because I love him so much. Got me off him and Wheeler. A lot of good that did me. So be careful with injury stuff. He struggled a little bit out of the box as well. So I think this year it's wheels up because he's starting from scratch. Also, to a lot of a few of the points that you made. All right, he was always known for this filthy, filthy changeup. Mm -hmm. The changeup hasn't changed. Just because the whiff rate drops like a couple percentage points, doesn't you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The thing that really matters was the adjustment to the arsenal, putting the four seamer first. 
And it's not just that. He has one of the best fastballs in the game. He Honestly, it's like the shortest list of, of players, and it's DeGrom and Verlander, Shane McClanahan, Hunter Green, that can go above 97 with 12 or fewer inches of vertical movement with 11 or more inches of arm side run, meaning so he can keep it flat with tail at elite velocity. He has a 34% whiff rate on his fastball. It is just absurd. This is not a contact. That's not contact. Having a 34% whiff rate on your four-seamer is not a contact pitcher. This is this is like erroneous. You know, erroneous. But that, that's what's going on. People are kind of stuck with their narratives. And mm-hmm. the changeup is still really, really good. So and, I and love I mean, that call. When you're throwing in Great American Ballpark, dude, like you have to try to pitch the ground balls, right? He's got yeah, a one thank you. Yeah, 180 batting average on a four-seam fastball in the bigs is absolutely nuts. When you know that all these guys can hit the straight one and you still can make them swing and miss, you still can have really low um, hard hit percentage on a four-seam, right? I mean, only a 7% boost to that slider, but the dude's got a 36% whiff rate on it. It was good before. Now it's even better because he's just throwing it more. And you, I mean, how do you hit this guy? I mean, I really don't know how you hit him. Is really kind of outrageous, the ballpark. I remember tweeting this. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I do remember the meat of it. So Cincinnati Reds, first of all, they were not very good, right? That ballpark allowed the most home runs by far, but not just total. It was number one in home run to fly ball. It was number one in home run to barrel and home run into blast, number one by far. They had one player hit 20. No one else hit more than 15. And it led the league in home runs. That's absurd. It and made the Brewers look good. That's bad. So, you know, it's, to be honest, where home runs, I actually think it's worse than Core. But Core is a better Babbitt park for sure. Cincinnati is the home run park. Like, you know, and that's where the F5 totals go to get cashed. So, yeah, everybody <laughs> wins. Just, this is going to be so awesome. I think the feedback for this one is going to be awesome. Stu, last play. I'm going to hold mine for the very, very end. I don't really even have analysis. I'm just throwing <laughs> at it because I tweet about this stuff. Like I said, enough of me. We want to highlight the, the real talent here. Stu, give us one more good one on the way out the door, my man. Well, I'll go to my final. I'll go to the, the, the people that appreciate the minus 110 bet out here. I'll be going to the market that I'm most fascinated by this offseason. It's the stolen base market. There are a couple guys that I absolutely love. I've locked in Acuna over 29 and a half stolen bases. That's moved up one to 30, but I would still bet it right there. I bet uh, Ruiz on the athletics over 29 and a half stolen bases. It's a very aggressive um, initial bet on a rookie that um, some people may not be knowing about, but may know about in the coming seasons. And then a not so, you know, unknown, the winner of the rookie of the year last year, J-Rod, I bet him over 25 and a half stolen bases right here. I think this is one of the most underpriced markets in every book. Like I said, I'm not very comfortable laying the minus 110 over the course of, of a season either, but I kind of came in with a plan that I'm going to aggressively attack the stolen base market this year because I think it's going to be a number of factors that the books just aren't ready for with these opening numbers. We obviously know the bases have gotten bigger, right? We already know that. And then we know now that the pickoff rules, right, where they're suddenly now limited on their chances to keep these runners closer to the bag. I saw a couple interviews with guys like Trey Turner just preaching how absolutely awesome this is going to be for base runners and how Pitchcom actually quietly did affect the stolen bases last year with this new pitcher communication. It was you saying it was kind of messing them up. So now that they have this kind of counterbalance in place, we've already sees, seen a full season of this take effect in the minor leagues and we saw great results. I think stolen bases are going to be through the roof and I think they're going to come early too. I like how I, last year I kind of said, or earlier in the show, sorry, I kind of said that I do, you know, you can be patient with some of these futures these stolen base ones i think they're going to come out early and fast especially when pitchers aren't quite adapted to how to you know use the pickoff moves in the in their best interest right now 
So I think stolen bases are going to be going absolutely crazy. Those are three of my favorite names. I was thought you made me glow again. You took the clubhouse lead in Cheshire Cat Smiles because I couldn't help but think I, I've just really come around to this. And I'm not like the biggest Astoria Ruiz guy, but we have to understand what's going on here. Right. So first of all, if anyone is unfamiliar, we're talking about a rookie for the Oakland Athletics. He stole 83 bases last year. Totally abnormal. But why does that matter? Not so much that even minor league steals necessarily are sticky for major leagues. It's with the rules. It's with the rules. He has a degree of experience, right, with physical tools that are free. Obviously, you're freakish. You don't just do that. And and I would I would even add, I don't care how fast you are, right? The world's best track runner that doesn't know how to steal bases is not stealing 80 bases. That's an unbelievable. It's just an unbelievable skill, physical tools plus IQ plus understanding of the game. You you don't just walk into this on an accident, right? Ricky Henderson was more than just fast, right? You're gonna have to understand base running. I truly believe that's a skill. But he has a year's worth of experience of taking advantage of pitchers that I think are probably more worried about the pitch clock and just staying in rhythm and not losing strikes. And almost because you could see this again, Jay, you have more experience than us right behind the scenes. But you could see coaches saying, listen, throw strikes. OK, if you start focusing on the runner on first base, let the catcher deal with that. Let the fielders deal with that. Let us deal with that. Throw strikes. So there's a pop because the thing I was thinking is there's a chance the story goes over 50, over 60. over. No one wants to hear it. He's an on base freak on base machine. This is not Billy Hamilton. People just. People say stupid shit all the time. Well, look at Bill. Yeah. He's not Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton was a negative hitter. He was not an on-base guy. Astoria Ruiz has put up four, 400 OBPs in the minors. If it translates at all on a team with zero competition, and guess what? He's already stole four bases in spring. Mono, you nailed it. It's going to be the, the, the way these prices are going to move are going to remind people of overnight derivatives trading because you're going to say, should I jump in? Should I jump in? Should I jump in? And then boop, it's gone. You're going, what? What? If it starts to hit, like, wait a minute, this could be for real. You're going to be so far in front of these markets. That is such a great call. Even if it's not the people, right? That's what we like to do is whether it's the player or not, look at the stolen base market. I'm already thinking about looking for long shot odds. Will anyone go over 80? Like any, you could probably find that somewhere. Will anyone go over 70? You probably get a sick, sick smack at that. And you just might, because guess what? If John Birdie's playing all season, he may steal 90 bases. People go 90 bases. And it's like, wait, did you, were you born in 2011? That used to happen all the time. So that's fully on deck. That's part of the reason why we had the rule adjustment. So, again, I love it. We talk about the pendulum shift. And yeah. Enough out of me. I want to know. You're going to get it say. before we go. Wrap it up with whatever final thought you have each. So, Jay, yeah. lead us all final thoughts. Wrap it up. Well, I was going to say, you nailed it. The complete and utter lack of competition on the athletics. Like, when you look at some of these teams, even if he was a Billy Hamilton, imagine every single time this guy gets on base, down 9-1, to one, down 10-1 to one on the athletics, he has an unlimited leash. He has no fear of repercussions. This is a team that is playing for absolutely nothing. They're saying, go out there, hit to the best of your ability, yep. steal as many bases as you can. We want to see what you've got. So I think Marte like, just did it too. Stalling Marte just did it not too long yep. ago, and he rattled off 47 in a walk year. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Okay, Jay, final thoughts and where people can find you. Yeah, no, you can find me um, on Twitter at uh, player underscore props. Uh, also over on YouTube, um, I have videos out every single day talking about right now college basketball, NBA, stuff like that. 
Um, also, we run our Pass the Prop show. That's Monday, Wednesday, Friday um, at noon. Um, it'll move up, I think, a couple hours once MLB season comes just because Wednesday decides to, hey, let's uh, let's get those games in the daytime. So we got to get those videos out early for you guys. So um, you can find me over there, like I said, on YouTube and on Twitter. Um, that's where you'll find me at. And, yeah, let's catch a few of these future ones. I mean, there's some big numbers that we threw out there today. And uh, thank you, Sue, for reminding me about Esteri Ruiz leaving my Brewers um, and hopefully <laughs> – my boy Bryce Terrain can uh, fill that Ooh. void because I, I he's my boy. Kelnick is actually a buddy of mine, but both of those guys are my friends. So I'm hoping they can come through and, and give me give me some uh, good fantasy numbers here. Hold on, Will. Esteri Ruiz leaving the Brewers for nothing be worse than the Yankees trading Hayden Wesneski for a bag of oranges? Hey, we got uh, we got Contreras, though. We got Contreras. I'm happy with that. We need the a catcher who can actually hit the baseball. The Yankees are so desperate for pitching, they just give it away for nothing. Stu, wrap it up, man. Put a cool bow on it for us. I am, man. It's an honor to be here. You, no, your MLB Daily Show last year was without a doubt the best in the business. We were going three days a week. You were going every single day, putting out not only entertaining, but informative content. So I'm extremely happy to be here. And I'm happy to be. If this channel didn't exist, this one that you're broadcasting on right now, I wouldn't be here as well. I'm a big fan of the channel in general. So I'm just super pumped, man. I think we got some great bets. And I'm looking forward to hearing about even more of your features as well. All right. We really appreciate it. Rate, review, and subscribe. All that good stuff. Mine, again, you've seen it on Twitter. I like Yoshida on the Red Sox to be Rookie of the Year. I just think he's experienced. He's going to be in the front third, get all the opportunities, and they gave him the bag. You know, I just think he's probably should be neck and neck with Gunnar Henderson, but Gunnar is at 300 and Yoshida's at plus 10. So give mm -hmm. me the 10 to 1. And I like Shane McClanahan. I'm not sure he's human. I think he might have been built in a pitching lab waiting for Mr. Props here to confirm that or not. He just might be a lab. When you get that kind of strikeout ability with the ability to keep it down on the ground, like, Gosh, the way he just changes eye levels. That breaking ball 99. is absolutely disgusting. Absolutely. And the fastball's freakish. He is he's freakish. And I think to a few of the narratives we mentioned, people are like, oh, but he's hurt. He came back and threw 99 in the playoffs. What I, I don't I don't know who's hurt. And I don't know how to predict who's gonna get injured. I know it for me at least. If you're throwing 99, you're healthy right now. And I don't know, you know, and we all say Jacob DeGrom can't go 150 innings, and nobody knows that. Right? Nobody knows that. We don't think he can, but nobody actually knows, right? There was a point when Zach Wheeler would never give you 200 innings. There was a point when Marcus Stroman <laughs> could not give you 200 innings. Both of those got flipped in their head. In my rankings, I call that the Christian McCaffrey principle because, right, weren't we told? We were told that, you know, it, there are certain players whose outcome, like injury outcomes, are predetermined. And we learn, a lot of people learn the hard way. Right, that it's not necessarily the case. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know the odds are long, but sometimes that's what it's all about. All right, rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you so much for picking up what we're putting down here from Player Prop, from Monotone Football, and the big dude with the big mouth or the big apple. Yo, that was off the hook, man. Get up in the comments, take Patty, let him know how good of a show we put on. Man, that was awesome. I mean, I, I'm going to have money on all of these. Keep your eye on the stolen base market. And, uh, yeah, look for us all on Twitter. We're going to be jamming. Baseball is right around the corner. I have all my future stuff coming out before you know it. But whatever. You know enough to follow me, yo. Peace.